At this time, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Holy Scripture we will consider this morning. As we make our way through the book of Isaiah, we find ourselves in Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17 to 25. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit They shall not plant and another eat, for like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Perhaps most of you or all of you know this, maybe some of you don't, but the Americas, both North and South America, are named after an Italian explorer named Amerigo Vespucci. After returning from Brazil in South America in the spring of 1503, Amerigo wrote a letter which is now entitled Mundus Novus, or in English, A New World. And listen what he wrote. He said, In past days I wrote very fully to you of my return from new countries. It is lawful to call it a new world, because none of these countries were known to our ancestors, and to all who hear about them, they will be entirely new. What's fascinating is that unlike Christopher Columbus, who happened upon Cuba, in 1492 and thought that he had reached Asia and found a new way to Asia, Amerigo realized that he had discovered, in fact, a new continent. Well, to the Europeans, it was like a new world. And of course, over the next few centuries, pilgrims and settlers came to this new world with big hopes of a better life. 
And some Christian pilgrims that went out on those boats to settle in the new land believed that the Americas were perhaps the new creation that Isaiah speaks of here in our text. But despite the beauty of that vast frontier that was before them, it was just another part of this earth under the sun. And so they arrived in the so-called new world, but they faced the same brokenness that they had left behind in Europe. And it did indeed offer them many freedoms, but it could not free them from sin, death, and the devil. However, in this vision here written by the prophet Isaiah, God gives us a glimpse of what is in store for those who follow Jesus by faith. In this passage, God promises to make a new creation that will truly be free from sin, death, and the devil. And as Christians, we are pilgrims heading towards this truly new world. And when we arrive there in glory, we will not be disappointed. Three points for us this morning. First, the place. Secondly, the people. And thirdly, the proof. First of all, the place. Isaiah speaks of the place that God will make here by referring to that which we already know very well. He calls it in verse 17, new heavens and a new earth. Now that phrase, if we know our Bibles well, should make us think of the first creation. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so Isaiah here envisions a new beginning to all things created by God, a new creation. But the new world will not be totally alien to us, totally foreign to us. Isaiah says that the best way to think about this new creation is by using an analogy of the first creation. He's saying that the new creation will also be called a heavens and an earth, just like the current created order in which we live, earth and heavens. And so this new place will not be something entirely different from what we live in now. And we should not think of this as something totally different, foreign and alien from us, but rather as a new and improved version of the current creation. We could perhaps call it heavens and earth 2.0. Now for the ancient Jews like Isaiah, this hope of a new creation was tied in with their hope of the resurrection of their bodies after death. They believed that on the last day, God would raise them up from the dead and place them in paradise. This world restored and renewed by the power of God. Like Eden in the beginning, that paradise, but better than Eden. And the whole testimony of God's word shows us that at the end of this present evil age, when Jesus Christ returns, that God will purge this world by fire, as we heard earlier from 2 Peter. But from the ashes of that final judgment, God promises to make all things new. Now, spring is almost upon us as far as seasons go throughout the year. And for the past couple of days, my allergies have been activated because of all the flowers blossoming in the air around us. And springtime is a small picture of the new creation for us. Each year, 
what happens? The trees and the plants, they lose their leaves and go dormant during winter, and it looks almost as if they're all dead. But then spring comes, and what happens? We see new life rise up from the ground to beautify the earth again. So springtime is this small yet imperfect picture for us of what will take place when Jesus comes back to judge the living and the dead. The new creation will be the grand finale of all springtimes put together. After the long cold winter of this life under the sun is done and gone, the Son of God will come back and make all things spring forth bright and glorious, splendid in beauty and purified by his love. In verse 17, Isaiah says in our text that in this renewed place, the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. What does this mean? It means that the bright joy of that place will eclipse and overshadow all of the dark pains that we are experiencing in this current life. The glory that is to come cannot be compared with the present sufferings of this evil age. When we arrive there, we will soon forget about things that so trouble us in this life, like cancer, mass shootings, wars, money, danger, and hatred. The new creation will be filled with such healing, love, and joy that all of our trauma from this life will be healed entirely. All our troubles will fly forgotten like a lost dream as we enjoy the reality of the new creation free from sin and death. Now, this was not just Isaiah's hope. This was not just his hope. It was and still is today the Christian hope that we have, even if many Christians are not aware of it. The new creation is that promised land to which we are headed by faith, and it is our eternal homeland, our eternal patria, we could call it. In the New Testament, we actually hear quite a bit about this new creation Take, for example, 2 Peter 3.13, where the apostle says there, according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So there's no doubt about it. The apostle Paul had this hope just like Isaiah did. This is also what the apostle Paul hoped for. And we have a fascinating and important passage in Romans 8, which speaks about this. We're there in Romans 8, verse 19 to 21. The Apostle Paul says this, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so here, what the Apostle Paul is describing is that the current creation that we are a part of and that we live in is waiting to be set free from that curse of sin and death that was placed upon it when Adam and Eve fell and sinned against God. And as we wait for the resurrection of our bodies from the dead on the last day, so too the creation waits for its own resurrection to be renewed as new heavens and a new earth. And this place that God promises to those who believe in Jesus will be so beautiful, 
so majestic that the Apostle Paul is left speechless by just contemplating it. And he says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. It is beyond our wildest imaginations and dreams, this new creation. This is the place that God is promising to make new for his people. The new creation is the true mundo novus, the new world. But that's not all that God promises to make new here in this text, which leads us to our second point, the people. Notice in verses 18 to 19 that the new creation is not just a place, it is also a people. A gathered people together in one place as the city of God, Jerusalem, which in Hebrew means the city of shalom or the city of peace. So in addition to the new heavens and the new earth, God says in verse 18, Behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. Now here Isaiah is not speaking about the city of Jerusalem in the Middle East today. No, rather his eyes are on the distant horizon beyond this created order. He's looking towards a new city of God in the new creation. Like Father Abraham before him, Isaiah here is looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God, the heavenly Jerusalem, as the author of Hebrews describes it. At the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 to 2, we actually get a clear vision of this same grand finale where John the Apostle writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Notice that the holy city here is the bride adorned for her husband. The city and the bride are the same thing, namely the people of God, the redeemed of Jesus his church. So it is a vision of God's ancient promise to Abraham, now finally fulfilled, as Revelation 21 says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And it is this blessed communion with God and with his people in the new creation that Isaiah is so describing for us with beautiful poetry. We find that in the place of dread and distance, God will rejoice over his people, and they shall be filled with gladness. And it's not going to be temporary. Look at verse 18. The primary command for God's people in that place is this, but be glad and rejoice, how long? Forever, in that which I create. So we find that God's people are promised unending joy. They will have a forever life of joy and look at verse 19 no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping or the cry of distress just last night i heard sirens of fire trucks and ambulances and police cars i heard over overhead helicopters flying in the night sky those are the sounds of this fallen 
broken world, the constant cries of distress. Those sounds will not be heard in the new creation. Instead, we will only hear songs of gladness and shouts of joy. We will no longer receive those heart-breaking phone calls that bring us tragic news. And why? Because we will have full lives. That's what Isaiah describes here. Full lives, free from sin and death. Look at verse 20. Verse 20, Isaiah speaks of what shall be in terms of what we now know. For example, he says that if a person were to die at 100 years of age, hypothetically, he would be considered young at 100 years old. Now, this doesn't mean that death will exist in the new creation. No, Isaiah has already told us back in chapter 25 of his book that God will swallow up death forever and that the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all our faces. And again, John, in his revelation that he receives from Jesus, gets a clearer vision of this future. In Revelation 21.4, he says this, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so with this poetic imagery that Isaiah is describing for us or giving us here, what is he doing? Well, he's painting for us a picture of that life that God's people will experience, that full life in terms that are easy for us to understand. He says that the lives of God's people shall not be cut tragically short. There will not be any miscarriages, no more SIDS, no more cancer, no more mental illness, no more heart attacks, no more suicides, no more wars, no more senseless violence, no more death, and therefore no more sounds of weeping. God's people will have forever full lives. Not only that, they will also have fruitful lives without the frustrations of this broken world. Look at verses 21 to 22. Instead of laboring with sweat on the brow and thorns pricking our hands as we build and cultivate, no, instead of that we will have fruitful lives. There will be no more vanity of vanities because of the curse of sin and death that shall be lifted. As Paul said back in Romans 8, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. And so we will have this beautiful new creation to enjoy. And that means with the curse lifted, that all, as he says in verse 22, my chosen shall enjoy long the work of their hands. So this is describing for us the fact that the creative work of God's people in the new creation will be fruitful. Their building and cultivating of the new creation together will not be futile. It will not be in vain. Without fail, every seed planted will grow up and bear fruit. All effort that we put into the new creation will reap joy in return. As Isaiah says, all labor done in the new creation will not be in vain. All our labor will flourish before God and before his people for us to enjoy. So in the new creation, God's people will have this forever full and fruitful life. And it will also be a familial life. Look at verse 23. They shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Here, God is described as the blessed father of his people. 
And there is this familial nearness that is described here for us. That by faith in the Son of God, we are now called the offspring of the blessed, those who belong to the Lord. And in that place, all believers shall dwell together, even with their children of the faith. For as Peter said on the day of Pentecost, the promise is for you and for your children and for all those whom the Lord calls to himself. But even greater than that blessed reunion that we will have with our lost loved ones in the new creation, embracing them again, seeing them face to face, we'll have this greater blessedness that's described in verse 23, that God will be near and dear to his people. He says, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. God's presence will be near to cheer his people always. For there we shall see Jesus face to face. And to cap it all off, we hear that God's people will enjoy this forever, full, fruitful, familial life without fear. It will also be fearless. Look at verse 25. Isaiah is describing a life without the fear of predators, without any threat upon us. Now, it's possible here, as he describes the wolf and the lion, that he is describing the new creation as this place filled with animals that are living at peace with each other, even lions and wolves as vegetarians, not eating up the lambs, etc. And I hope that's true, personally. But Isaiah here is most likely symbolically referring to powerful people that prey upon the weak. Think, for example, the wolves of Wall Street, as we call them, that devour poor people like lambs. Well, in the new creation, there will be no rich and powerful people preying upon the weak. No, all of God's people will be set at peace with one another and in harmony with one another in perfect love. And notice also that the reference to the serpent here the serpent eating dust is an echo of that original curse back in Genesis 3.14. That all other aspects of the curse shall be lifted, but the ancient curse upon that dragon, Satan, that lying double-tongued snake, that curse shall remain. That curse shall not be lifted off of the evil one. Rather, he will be punished in the place of unending death for all of eternity. So what is the consequence of these predators being removed, especially the devil? It is this, that nothing evil lurking in the shadows will bring harm or undo God's new creation. Unlike the first creation, this new creation will be incorruptible, not able to be corrupted by sin. There will be no possibility of another fall into sin and death, a fall away from God. It will not be possible. And so Isaiah concludes, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. And for that reason, God's people will enjoy a forever full, fruitful, and familial life that will also be a fearless life. No fear of losing it. Now as we describe this, vision that Isaiah gives us. Perhaps all this sounds fantastical to you. Maybe it seems too good to be true. What reason do we have to believe that all this shall be so? 
And that brings us to our third and final point, the proof. Something has happened in time and in space, in human history, that proves that this new creation and this new people of God will come true. What is it? It is the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, Christianity is not just a system of beliefs or rules to follow. No, all of Christianity stands or falls with the historic claim about Jesus' death and resurrection. That means that if Jesus didn't rise again from the dead 2,000 years ago, then all of Christianity is false. But if he did, then all of it is true, including this great and glorious promise about the new creation. And that's why we are here today gathered in this place. We believe that the eyewitness accounts about Jesus' death and resurrection give us the most credible, plausible explanation of the empty tomb of Jesus and the enduring testimony of his disciples and the living testimony of the church today in this world. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us that Christians have received newness of life by their faith in Jesus. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, this about us as Christians. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This means that in addition to the historic resurrection of Christ from the dead, that the fellowship of believers filled with the Spirit of God, living in newness of life, that our fellowship together is a living testimony to the world of the new creation. See what God has done and is continuing to do and shall do when Jesus comes back. That together, united by faith to Christ and filled with the Spirit, we are living proof of Jesus' resurrection and God's promise of a new creation. Our lives individually and collectively renewed and transformed by the gospel filled with faith hope and love is more evidence to the world that Jesus will indeed make all things new because he has already begun with me and with you we have the privilege to display this evidence of the new creation in our shared life together as we live out the Christian faith Friends, Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead is proof of the new creation. And so too, the enduring faithfulness of the Christian church and its impact in the world, the communion of saints. For we are, as Paul says, the first fruits of the new creation. Now in that letter that the explorer Amerigo wrote in 1503, he continued saying this after he spoke of the new world that he discovered. He says, for the opinion of the ancients was that the greater part of the world to the south was not land but sea, which they have called the Atlantic. And even if they have affirmed that any continent is there, they have given many reasons for denying it is inhabited. But this opinion is false and entirely opposed to the truth. My last voyage has proved it, for I have found a continent in that southern part." Friends, the opinion of many today is that there is nothing beyond death, beyond the sea of death. And some try to give reasons for their denying the possibility of an afterlife. But this opinion is false and entirely opposed to the truth. 
Why? Because, again, the bodily resurrection of Jesus has proved it. For as surely as Jesus rose from the grave, so too he shall return to make all things new. And if you sitting here today still have doubts or you still want to deny the promise of this new creation, then you first have to deny the historic claims about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And know this, know this as well. Many skeptics in this world, in this life, have tried to set out to do that, to deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus as a historic event. And many have returned saying this, I have found it to be true. He is risen indeed. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we come to you again this morning, and we come before this claim that we find in your word of your many great and glorious promises, and this claim that Jesus Christ, your Son, sent into this world, has secured these promises for us, and that through his death and resurrection, he has gone to prepare a place for us, the new creation. And Lord, he shall surely come again. For any who might still doubt or deny these claims, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would work on their hearts, that you would set them on a path to investigate the facts and the claims of the Christian faith, and that they too, through their investigation and their study, might find it all to be true. Lord, press these truths upon our hearts and give us hope in what we do not see, for in this hope we are saved. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In response to God's